Welcome to The Bolt Zone. This is a competitive magic podcast for the average spike, co-hosted by me, Cody DeBose, and the former PT champion and magic world champion, Nathan Storyer. We're bringing you the best tips, tricks, and strategies to improve your game and be a better player. And today, Nathan is out sick, so I am joined by Tandy, uh, aka Todd Anderson, friend of the show. I, I know him personally from events over at Apex, and uh, it's great to have him on. So, Tandy, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Cody. How are you, man? I'm good too. I uh, it's been a few weeks since we've been able to get an episode in, so I'm happy to be back and, and talking some magic. Yeah, me too. I'm uh, sorry to hear Nathan's under the weather, but uh, you know things happen, and uh, holiday season's always rife with with uh, the colds and things running around. Yeah, definitely. I, I was also under the weather for a couple of weeks, and Nathan and I have like been going back and forth with it. So, <laughs> unfortunate. December's rough, but, man. Everyone's traveling yeah. for holidays and stuff too. Like, I I think I streamed twice in December or whatever. So I get it, man. We you know I was gone for ten days driving to the south. You know, I went to Georgia, Alabama, and back, and it was a lot of driving and a lot of family, but a lot of fun. And uh, I definitely caught something from somebody at some point. You know, it's just how it goes. Yeah, so many, so many different people. But yeah, we're, we're happy to be back, happy to get a new episode out. And there's been a lot happening in the time that we've missed. So we're going to be doing some catching up today, looking at our three big competitive formats, seeing what's happening in them, what you should be paying attention to in each format. And we're in a bit of a weird spot right now competitively because, you know, all three of these formats are relevant for constructed competitive play right now for different reasons. Um, and we'll, we'll get into them more in depth. But with, with standard, it's the RCQ season that's kicking off right now, as well as the big 75K Open coming up at MagicCon Chicago in February. Pioneer is the PT coming up next month. And then Modern is the upcoming RC cycle. So lots of different formats to talk about, lots of things to focus on. And then at the end of today's episode, we are also going to have a couple of recordings that we had from down in Atlanta at the RC. We got to talk oh, cool. to some different people, some fans of the show. So we'll we'll be plugging those in at the end of the episode. How was your uh, Atlanta experience? I was stuck in the broad- broadcast booth, but it was fun for me. Uh, you probably had more fun than I did. Oh, <laughs> it no, was, uh, oh, no. It was all right. I felt pretty good going into it. I ended up three and four, you know, just like some bad luck, lost a really good matchup two times in a row. It happens. Look, it's a game and uh, we play the games to win, but that doesn't always happen. Yeah, exactly. So outside of the actual gameplay, it was a, a good time getting to see people down there and hang out and stuff. So brought my fiance down and we had a great time. We went to the aquarium and the zoo down there and everything. Oh, heck yeah. yeah those see the fun. city. So we, we had a good time. I, I kept saying the, the playing part was like the worst part of the whole weekend. <laughs> Look, as someone who's been doing it for a long time, you will not remember very well the individual matches that you played, but you will remember well the memories that you created on the periphery of the event itself. My favorite memory from all of my travels is just going to the Coliseum in Rome with my wife and getting to experience that part of history with her up close, something I never would have dreamed I would have been able to do when I was younger, traveling to Europe, things like that. So, uh, you know, keep keep that in, uh, in the back of your mind when you're going to these events. Don't always focus too much on the tournaments themselves, especially while you're at the event. Yeah, totally. I think that's a a great mindset to have. And like you said, that's the stuff you remember. So looking forward to to Denver coming up next month, too, and and the adventures that that'll bring. But uh, 
First, before we dive in, I want to give a, a quick shout out to everyone who takes the time to listen and support the show. We appreciate all the feedback and support. I, down in Atlanta, was able to meet a ton of you guys, people coming up to me and and being recognized was kind of surreal, but hearing how much you all love this show and how much support you have for it has been really rewarding. And I'm really excited to keep making great content for everyone this year. We have to give a special shout out to two new patrons this week entering the Bolt Zone and Trey Carlisle and Kimchi Cat. Thank you guys so much for that. And then also just want to plug our new merch we have over at boltthebirdmtg.com slash shop. We love to see you all wearing our merch in the wild. So let us know on Twitter using the hashtag boltzonechat if you pick some up. And to kick off the new year, we have a special going on from today, which is Friday when the episode's coming out, to next Friday. You can get 15% off all our merch for the next week using the code BTBNewYear15. Uh, we'll put that code in the show notes for you as well. Tandia, what have you been up to recently? Uh, I know you do a lot of playing online, a lot of streaming and, and casting and stuff. What have you been up to in the magic world? Well, like you, I had a, a light December, but uh, at the beginning of the year, I started putting my nose down, uh, studying uh, the standard format. We are a couple decks deep right now, you know, a bunch of matches in. I've been really enjoying playing the Esper Tempo deck in Sander. That's what I've been focusing on over the last couple of weeks. I'm actually was in the middle of writing my sideboard guide for it when uh, when we started the podcast. So I gotta get back to work after after this is done. The grind never stops. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's go ahead and actually we can just uh, start with Standard. And uh, sounds like you've been playing a lot of it. I've been sort of slowly diving back in after playing a ton of Pioneer lately. But yeah, we mentioned the Magic Con Chicago 75K Open. That's that's an exciting event that's coming up next month. I'm hoping to get out there for it. That's a big deal. I mean, that's a, a much larger tournament than many players are used to playing. Uh, you know, it's not quite the size of the regional championship itself in terms of money given out. But like first place at the 75K is probably going to be ten fifteen thousand dollars or whatever that's that's an absurd amount of money for one magic tournament that is an open invite that you didn't have to qualify for i have to imagine it'll be under a thousand players which is probably good for your value if you want to sign up um and it's a format that's relatively uh, underexplored compared to others because there hasn't been that big of a competitive spotlight on the format itself uh standard you know historically was one of the more popular constructed formats uh, but it was more forced than it was anything because wizards of the coast would create incentives for stores uh through fnm promos and things like that they would make fnm be only standard for a while that was a thing they did and uh recently though with covid and you know just a ton of issues uh, in the game itself uh standards kind of fallen by the wayside and they've really been trying to to reinvigorate it and the 75k is definitely a good way to to jump start i think yeah it's a super exciting event i i love that they're sort of bringing back these big opens at the magic cons they had the, the draft one at the last one which is cool too but mm-hmm. having it be a constructed format just feels a little different but yeah so we also have the the new rcq season kicking off um that's going to be standard format and that's that's also exciting this is the first time that it's been standard you know across the board other than when stores had a uh, choice to run it in whatever format they wanted. You could find a few standard ones then, but it's exciting to see a lot more eyes on the format. Like you said, it's super underexplored. So we've seen in the last couple of RCQ seasons, you know, with how many people are playing, just the the innovation that's sort of come out and, and how much those formats have evolved. So I'm interested to see what happens to standard this time around. 
No, for sure. Me too. Um, I think we have a decent amount of information. You know, there are people who play arena ladder standard constantly. And uh, over time, you're just going to have decklist come up and get uh, shorn down like into its most ripped, uh, you know, uh, variation. And right now we have relatively uncut iterations of these archetypes, but the games are fun. You know, I'm, I'm finding that the uh, the back and forth is is much different than in Pioneer where, um, it's much more about how you build your deck, how what deck you bring to the event, and how you mulligan, and uh, how you interact in the first like three turns. And for standard, as far as I can tell, you know most games go 10, 15 turns, and the the games go back and forth quite a bit. So it's way more about uh, leveraging things that generate virtual or actual card advantage, uh, things that can generate multiple points of pressure for one card or one one piece of investment. Uh, and also ways to just like go way over the top of your opponent. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think um, the best deck in the format right now, at least in, in terms of raw numbers, is going to be the domain deck. The, you know, five color herd migration uh, yeah. attracts, attracts a grand unifier. This deck is all over the place. And uh, it was really excellent at the uh, the last regional championship that I did coverage on as well. And uh, I, I think that uh, it's poised to be the best deck in the format here for the RCQ season. Yeah, it's it's also just like a really fun deck to play. Just you know, going yeah. over the top and doing doing big things with Atraxa and and friends. So yeah, so through that lens, sort of with Domain at the top and uh, in terms of popularity at least, and also just doing well. Where do you think that that puts the format? You know, in terms of needing to respect that while also you know managing some of these other decks at the top like Esper that are just totally different. So the way to attack a deck like domain is often to stop them at the source and that can be discard effects uh like duress or i think there's a oil one that takes some i, I can't remember the name of it off the top yeah of my head. dreams of stealing oil yeah that one um there's a couple of cheap discard effects like that you know that you can play there's you know other ways to disrupt other than counter spells but counter spells are going to be the primary way to defeat a deck like this uh the way that they combat that is by playing four copies of Cavernous Souls, which along with Attracts a Grand Unifier really puts a kink in your plans. So you have to have a two-pronged plan of pressure uh, plus counterspells or pressure plus disruption. And if you aren't able to disrupt them very much, uh, they're just going to play a Wrath Effect like Sunfall or they're going to ramp into an Attracts on turn five with a Cavernous Souls. And it's a 7-7 seven, seven Lifelink Vigilance that draws five cards or whatever. Like, it's very difficult. That's to, big. <laughs> it's very difficult to punch through, but it's also difficult to beat once they get to untap. So you have to really uh, put it to them. And uh, honestly, the Cavernous Souls has been uh, a uh, recent addition from the reprint that uh, really breaks a lot of the, di- the dichotomy in the, in the format. Yeah, who could have seen Cavern of Souls making an impact? Well, I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal, but uh, you know the the fact that the domain deck exists is really what puts it over the top. I think. Yeah, for sure. So what you mentioned, you know, as far as like pressuring and stuff, you have been playing a lot of the Esper Tempo deck. So what's sort of drawing you to that right now, and and how do you feel like that lines up with the rest of the format? Well, it's a sleight of hand deck, which is uh, extremely in my jam. But more than that, though, Monastery Mentor just gives you kind of like a focal point to build around when you play sleight of hand, op, things like that. And uh, with uh, the new card, Helping Hand, you're able to, you know, maybe put it into the graveyard in a tricky way. But also when your opponent just kills your first three drop, 
on the next turn when you follow up you get to play helping hand you get that three drop back for free and when that three drop has like a really powerful effect either it enters the battlefield or a static effect like monastery mentor or the gen you know these are just like really powerful targets for helping hand that once you play them you can then sit on make disappear you can play removal spells you can play card draw and you're essentially just adding a bunch of redundant three mana threats to your deck that essentially only cost one but they kind of cost one later in the game very similar to sarah avenger if that's a card you've ever played with before a great threat that's cheap that's like really late game but uh the mentor deck itself you know it has a lot of flexibility in how it's built uh it has a lot of cool interaction points from the black splash for light removal to a little bit of disdainful stroke stuff in the sideboard with a good bit of pressure um, I've been really enjoying playing the deck, and uh, I, I don't know if it's the best. I don't even know if it's the best Esper creature deck, but it's, it feels pretty fun. Yeah, I was going to say, because what you just mentioned about being really versatile, like Esper in general right now is just super versatile. We, you know, yeah. There's a whole different archetype kind of built around the same idea of being able to like stick a, a threat and get some pressure on it and then hold up your stuff and uh, and interact. And that one's sort of you know taking advantage of Rafine and, and uh, friends, but... How do you see, you know, do do these two decks exist together in the format, do you think? Or or are we going to settle back to, to one? I mean, they're completely different decks, if I'm being honest. One is 22 creatures, one's 10 creatures or whatever. Like, it's a... Uh, they don't really function the same way. They don't play the same spells. They just happen to be in the same colors. And I think that they can both easily exist in the format and attack in different ways while having their own you know, distinct, distinct weaknesses. But, uh, you know, the Esper mid-range deck that plays uh, Rafine, Scheming Seer, the Rafines themselves are probably the most important card in the deck just because it turns all of your two-drop threats into something real. And mm-hmm. you get to play, like, Deep Cavern Bat, which is, like, a flying version of Mesmeric Fiend. You get to play Fairy Mastermind, which is a, a really efficient two-cost flyer that has a huge punish for your opponent and a way for you to gain some extra resources. You know, you get to turn these relatively small two-drops into something much more frightening. And the fact that Rafine itself uh, has ward early on, so it's, like, pretty hard to kill... Uh, and has an immediate effect that when you play, you get to attack and trigger it. You're just creating these like really cool incentives uh, to be lower to the ground as an Esper deck. And uh, the other one, the Mentor deck, is more like, ah, I'm going to play Sleight of Hand. I'm going to cast Opt. I'm going to hold up a sure. counter, play Picklock Prankster. This is more like Esper Beatdown. Uh, we used to call this type of deck, back in the day, we called it Machine Head, where you would play just like, a couple creatures, a couple removal spells, and call it a day. But all your creatures themselves were kind of like hard carrying and doing all the heavy lifting. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't a traditional aggro deck because you're not playing like 12 one drops, stuff like that. Sure. Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The one card that I'm super stoked on uh, is Preacher of the Schism. I think that card fills a, a nice gap in the format. It's great against the grindy decks, uh, it's great against the aggressive decks. And it only costs three, has four toughness, dodges a lot of the removal. Uh, it also dodges a lot of the counter spells because it doesn't get hit by a disdainful stroke or negate. And it does get hit by make disappear, but it also dodges spell pierce. So there's there's tons of things to love about Preacher of the Schism. And I think it goes uh, right into the uh, Esper Rafine deck for sure. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to see it popping up all over the place. Yeah, it definitely is popping up a lot. And over the past week, the price of that one has spiked. <laughs> 
Yeah, it looks like. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it looks yeah, like most um, most of the cards in standard have been spiking because people just want to play the regional championship qualifiers, and you got you got to buy a deck, man. And uh, market market forces definitely uh, will change prices. Yeah, absolutely. Preacher of the Schism, specifically, you know, we're also seeing that in the in the Rakdos deck. Mm-hmm. Dexa in standard and it's interesting you know all three of the formats we're going to talk about today we have a Rakdos deck in the top five and while they all differ quite a bit they're all very powerful and, and solid options and there's definitely you know a sort of play style that goes with them and a, a sort of player that enjoys them what do you think about the Rakdos deck in standard uh, so we'll start with Rakdos mid-range uh, this one looks very similar to what I saw a lot in uh Standard circa 2010, 2011 with like Bloodbraid Elf Jund. The Geological Appraisers, Trumpeting Carnosaurs, these are just threats that allow you to hit another threat or removal spell. And how you build your deck uh, for a specific matchup, either pre-board or post-board, allows you to uh, be more likely to hit one of those effects, depending on which one that your deck is leaning toward. The Rakdos Midrange deck itself is... Uh, Pretty strong, and specifically strong, I think, because of the card Blood Tithe Harvester. Uh, This is a two-cost, three-power creature that applies a lot of pressure in uh, Pioneer. And in Standard, you know, I can't imagine that it it does significantly more damage over time, you know, considering uh, the sizing of the the rest of the creatures in that Standard format. And I think the Blood Tithe Harvester specifically is one of the reasons, if not the sole reason why, Rakdos mid is as popular and good as it is in both standard and pioneer. When you get into modern, you know, there's a lot of direct print stuff that can overshadow it. There's an extra 10 or 15 years worth of cards that don't exist in pioneer. So like, you know, it's, it's understandable that blood tithe harvester doesn't see that much play in, uh, in modern, but I have a feeling that if old Dothy Voidwalker didn't exist, we'd all be playing <laughs> blood tithe harvester anyway. So yeah, no, absolutely. But it, it is, we had talked about earlier how the standard format and in Pioneer to some degree too is like such a back and forth format where you're trying to like eke out value and mm-hmm. um, and advantages wherever you can and Blood Tithe Harvester being so flexible, making an extra piece of cardboard when it comes into play. Like it's just, it's so good all around. It can be defensive or aggressive, which is like the yeah. one of the more important parts, right? Like you can use it to kill a flyer. You can play a second one and kill a large creature with the first one. Like it's just such a phenomenal card. Yep, it does everything. It does everything you ask of it, and that blood token, you know, also in as the game goes on, being able to ditch that extra land out of your hand and redraw, um, or in the case of the reanimator deck, you know, put put a big threat into the graveyard <laughs> to bring back is is also really good. Um, what are your thoughts on the reanimator version? Uh, so the reanimator version that I'm looking at uh, is going extremely big with Carnosaur and Atali using a bitter triumph as a discard outlet slash removal spell using big score in very similar ways big score actually is excellent because it does double duty right it allows you to ramp up into your big stuff but it also can put like redundant copies into the graveyard to reanimate later uh, i don't love the reanimator version of this deck i i think that it essentially limits your ability to be flexible in the mid game without really increasing um like your late game that much like i i I think obviously tolly trumpeting carnosaur these are very powerful effects but they're also just kind of opening you up to counter spells like the disdainful strokes and stuff we were talking about and when the herd migration deck is currently the front runner for like deck in the format you know you have to imagine that people are going to be coming 
with a ton of those types of cards. And you can see, though, any deck that does play these big five, six, seven drop creatures, they're all leaning on Cavernous Souls to some degree. But when you start playing Cavernous Souls in a deck that plays Brotherhood's End, Shieldred's Edict, you know, you're going to have mana issues. You're just like not going to have black mana on turn two sometimes or turn three right. sometimes. <laughs> and so, you know, the more caverns you play, more cavernous souls you play, you know, the better you are against counterspell, but the worse are you, are you, uh, the worse you are against like aggressive decks. I would lean Rakdos midrange. I think that it does a lot of the same stuff. I, I like how in the early turns you can be aggressive. Um, I like that you can have a much more controlling sideboard plan. And I like that you're not a gimmick. And uh, you still yeah. get to play four copies of Trumpet and Carnosaur, and it's still excellent. So, Yeah, no, I, I agree with that for sure. And I feel like you know if you're in this format wanting to go over the top, that you should probably just be playing the domain deck instead. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, the opposite of going over the top, the mono red deck has been putting up some decent results lately. I think I had three of the top eight in the challenge this weekend. Mm. Um, sort of the the fun police here, making sure that you know everyone is having plays turns one and two and, and punishing decks that aren't. What are your thoughts on the mono red deck? Well, uh, I've lost it the last two times I played against it. <laughs> and I did not have bad draws. And so I, I think a lot of their strength comes from the card Witchstalker's Frenzy, uh, mm-hmm. being able to answer a very large creature for just one red mana while you're attacking with a lot of small creatures uh, makes it extremely desirable, especially in a format where Shielder of the Apocalypse is all over the place. Um, I think it's really funny that the deck only plays two Monastery Swiss Spear. Monastery Swiss Spear has been heralded as like maybe the best red one drop ever printed. But in this particular standard format, we are not extremely burn heavy. We use our burn to kill blockers. And yeah. uh, because of that, we need creatures that are better at standing alone and the creatures that are uh, better without having to play something beforehand. Uh, so, you know, uh, we see, you know, four copies of Phoenix chick, obviously one of the better one drops, uh, for the archetype when it was printed, I immediately put it into my Monterey deck in pioneer and I quite liked it. And now in standard, I think it's getting the nod over a Swiss spear in higher numbers for good reason. Uh, mm-hmm. I love the Godric cloak reveler. It absolutely does devastated me. The last time I played against it, they flipped a Kamano, they played it, it gave a haste, they attacked, I died. <laughs> Yeah, it's <laughs> it's so easy to turn on celebration in this deck that like it is. It's trivial. The fact, the fact that it can trigger itself and then all yeah. you need it before, like if you play Kamana on one and then Godric on three, it's just a massive swing, massive. Yeah, absolutely. And what you mentioned about Witchstalker Frenzy is is funny because um, Nathan and I around the time of the RC in San Diego last year, we were sort of talking about the mono red deck that existed at the time. And, you know, we, we both agreed that it was not very good and that, you know, mono red was just missing a couple of key pieces to, to actually, you know, put it all together. And, and one of the things we talked about was a solid removal spell that could deal with Shouldred yeah, and roast. also like just be flexible, you know, <laughs> yeah, and, and just answer like this answers that question while like you're doing what you want to be doing anyway and attacking. And then also Godric has been a, a really big addition as well. So the deck has, has changed a lot recently uh, and, and for the better, but I think that kind of covers like the big decks in standard right now, because we didn't, we didn't talk about Golgari or soldiers. Well, we don't have to talk about Golgari. Uh, that deck's <laughs> that deck can never be domain. I think it has a sub five percent matchup win percentage against domain. It's like some disgustingly small number, 
the Azorius Soldiers deck, I haven't seen anyone play it. I haven't played against it. I don't know who these 5.4% of the metagame share people are. I've never seen them. Yeah, I, I am with you. It fell off super hard. So yeah, any other thoughts sort of, I guess, big picture on standard before we move on to our next section? Um, pick a strategy you like playing. The games can go long, and if you're not enjoying yourself, you're going to be miserable. Uh, if you're an aggro player at heart, the mono red deck is quite fun and quite good. Uh, if you like playing super long games, I would recommend the, the, the domain deck. I think that it's uh, very strong. And also, if that's the type of magic you like playing, uh, it's going to be right up your alley. The Leyline Binding folks at your deck. Pick it up. <laughs> yeah, there's tons of options right now. Standard's pretty open. And also, you know, don't be afraid to experiment a little bit. We mentioned mm-hmm. that the format is is underexplored and there's, you know, a lot of new cards that haven't seen any uh, play in like a time when standard format is relevant from the last couple sets. So mm. there's, you know, maybe there's something out there that, that remains unknown at this point. All right. So before we jump into pioneer, we're going to let you know that the bolt zone is excited to be partnering with our new friends over at heavy play. Heavy play is a new card game accessories brand that is built to improve your game day and game play experience with their lineup of high quality products. They have play mats, deck boxes and sleeves. All of them are featuring enhanced ergonomics, mobility and protection for your collection. So the whole idea is that these, these products are going to make your game day better. And the big selling point is their unique equip mag system so the deck boxes and play mat feature super strong magnets that let you attach everything together carry it all in one hand so that's super convenient between rounds keep your stuff secure during play on the play mat you can you know fold the deck box up and, and not have the flap going all over the place you can hook it all up to the mat and have it secure in one place so your setup is the same every time and, and you're good to go. I've been using Heavy Place Playmat and deck boxes personally. I'm really enjoying them. They feel super durable, very premium, which is something I really appreciate when I'm uh, at a tournament for eight, nine hours a day playing. So if you want to check out Heavy Play gear for yourself, you can ask about it at your LGS or you can check out their website for the full lineup of products. That's at heavyplay.com. And if you use the promo code BTB10, you get 10% off your entire first order and you can help support the show in the process. So we'll put that promo code in the show notes as well. And Also be on the lookout for Heavy Play. They're going to have a booth coming up at the Denver RC and Magic Con Chicago next month. So you can go ahead and get your hands on their products, try them for yourself, uh, and meet the team over there. And again, stay tuned to the end of the episode. We had a chance to talk to Randy from Heavy Play. He's going to weigh in at the end from our conversation down in Atlanta. But no need to wait. Again, check out their website, heavyplay.com. Shop the full lineup and use the promo code BTB10 to get 10% off your entire first order and help support the show all right tandies let's talk about pioneer so this one uh, we we, uh don't have to spend quite as much time on this one since this is relevant mostly right now for pro tour players uh coming up for chicago but i do want to touch on it since we've seen you know things sort of start to settle a little bit after atlanta i know you're a big pioneer guy so sort of give me your your big picture thoughts in the format uh, so there's been a couple decks that have basically existed for a couple years that, uh, 
you know, will wax and wane in popularity based on whatever's in the metagame, based on what things have been banned recently or not. Um, more recently, they unbanned Smuggler's Copter. I personally thought it might be too good. I remember playing against it a lot when uh, Pioneer first started, and the aggressive decks all played four, and it was always extremely annoying to play against and very powerful when you're playing with it, from graveyard synergies to discard synergies to just being a way to alleviate yourself from flooding and things like that. Now, though, I think the format's really stabilized. I think that there are essentially four decks at the top echelon, and everything else is kind of fighting to get into that uh, spotlight. Uh, Rectus Midrange, I think, is the de facto best deck. It has a lot of uh, extremely efficient removal. Uh, the threats are uh, just, like, very good at uh, standing on their own or, you know, potentially being diverse, interactive, uh, like uh, Bone Crusher Giant, Blood Tithe Harvester, things like that. The top end of Shieldred, obviously nuts. And the addition of Inti recently has been quite good, I think. Uh, yeah, allowing the, the deck to be much more aggressive uh, early in the game alongside Smuggler's Copter specifically, but also just by itself. And so I think that that specifically being more aggressive has actually forced uh, some of the combo decks out of the format because of the best deck is also slightly aggressive and disruptive with Thoughtseize. So, you know, you're seeing less uh, Hidden Strings, less Lotus Field, uh, you know, fewer of those like Enigmatic decks, things like that. The, uh, the rest of the format, you know, the, the other big three decks, you know, we got Is It Phoenix. This deck fell off the map pretty hard for a while, but it's back. Uh, Azorius Control, similarly, low numbers for quite a while. Now uh, seems like it's doing really, really nicely. And then the newcomer, Amalia Combo. You know, Amalia Benavides Aguirre. She's uh, <laughs> something else, man. She finds the Ark of the Covenant and she blows stuff up. And uh, <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's a pretty fun deck. Pioneer Yawgmoth. It is pretty fun. Yeah. So that's the format in a nutshell, those four decks. There's obviously 40 other decks you can play, and all those decks can win a tournament uh, from Boris Convoke, which is my personal favorite, to Lotus Field, to Fires, to Gruel Thrill Seeker. These are all strategies that are viable and good. Um, and I think some of them, you know, have like a, a better matchup spread in some formats or some expected metagames. And so it's, it's just like a cool guessing game to see, like, can I pick the deck that does well today? Yeah. And, and that's like you said, there's so many options that, that picking that, that right deck that's going to line up is, is interesting. We talked about blue white a second ago and how that has sort of returned to relevance and, um, had a really strong showing down in Atlanta. So it's, yeah. it's not surprising i guess to see that it's sort of settled at the top here what are your thoughts on that deck moving forward though because we've seen it before kind of settle in at the top for a few months and then fall off super hard again well i think that the uh the biggest thing is the addition of change the equation to the main deck that might not sound like a that big of a deal but as a two-mana counterspell it covers a lot of bases covers any small thing that you're going to face off against. But if your opponent is playing like green or red, you know, any big thing they play is going to get countered for two mana. And so many of the ways that usually punish a deck like Azorius Control is to go under them, playing those ones and two drops. And then if they tap out for like a Supreme Verdict or, or something similar, you follow it up with like a, a big four or five drop Planeswalker or what have you. And sometimes those early game counter spells are just like not good enough, but change the equation, I think, is is just excellent in a, a number of different spots. Um, I'm not sure what the best 
version of Azorius Control is. You know, there are diehard fanatics uh, for the archetype. Um, I've been uh, pretty interested in the addition of Restless Anchorage as a creature land that can play defense. It's a very yeah. cheap activation, a very high toughness defender. And it actually just gives the deck like a reasonable way to just hold up mana past the turn, prevent your opponent from attacking. So they have to say, okay, well, I'm going to cast my spell before I attack. So it gives you like complete information or whatever. So. Yeah, it blocks um, really well. That's a that's been a big addition, I think. Yeah, uh, I think the the format now just counter spells are significantly better than they were a year ago or six months ago, and uh, the addition of change the equation I think changed a bunch. But um, I personally can't win a single game with blue eye control. I don't know what's wrong <laughs> with me, but uh, it is what it is. People love this deck, and I think it's great. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat with you, and I this is a deck that like I would never want to register for a big tournament you know just like in especially in paper like time concerns and and having that sort of hanging over my head is not something that i want on like on game day but interesting nonetheless now amalia is interesting i chose to take convoke to atlanta because i had played a ton with it i thought it was still really strong but amalia popping up you know right before was sort of unfortunate timing i didn't actually play against it in atlanta but it was a big percent of the field and i think that you know the deck has sort of settled in now um people it's a known quantity people are expecting it and are prepared for it um and it's proven that it's able to sort of stand up stand up to that test and remain successful at the top so what are your thoughts on this deck have you been playing it at all lately uh, I played it a little bit on Magic Online, but it it's one of those decks that requires an enormous amount of clicks to physically win the game. And when you're streaming and you assemble a combo and it takes five minutes to finish doing the combo, it's not really good for content. It's not really fun to watch. <laughs> and so I kind of stayed away from it. But I like theorizing about it and I like talking about it. And I really appreciate it for live play. And we I was very similar uh, when Birthing Pod was in Modern and uh, there was all these combos with it. Like I just didn't play those that much. Um, I did play a lot of Splinter Twin. Uh, you know, that was a guilty <laughs> pleasure. That one has had similar problems. I think that uh, in general, this deck is excellent. I think that um, Amalia itself is a much stronger card than anyone really gave it credit for uh, at the beginning. Um, it combined with Lunaric Veteran as well as uh, uh, those, you know, Prosperous Innkeeper and these like things that gain life when it comes into play, allow mm-hmm. it to just be a really powerful card without the Wild Growth Walkers. And um, this is also what I consider to be the best Court of Calling deck I've seen in Pioneer since Pioneer started. Absolutely. And so, and so when you have uh, that combination of things like a Collected Company on top of the Court of Calling being so strong and you just have these like creatures that are all pretty good on their own, um, I'll say this. The deck is pretty weak at winning the game without Amalia triggering. I think that uh, that's something that maybe can be worked on in the future for for builds to try to be uh, better at winning the game without uh, actually assembling the combo. But the deck is so good at assembling the combo thanks to Cord and Collective Company. And it's great at assembling it a second time with Return to the Ranks. Which yeah, is kind the of second, crazy. third, fourth time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very difficult deck to, to, to just bury, like to put in the ground to actually physically beat them because they gain so much life. Uh, I think that that's one of the reasons why uh, the deck is uh, where it's at in the format in terms of popularity is because it's just very difficult to physically beat. And uh, people really like decks like that. People really like, you know, Court of Calling a Collective Company. And at the moment, this is the best Collective Company deck. And... You know, usually that is one of the top five decks in the format when Coco's good. 
yeah the the toolbox aspect is always just really fun and you know being able to to tune your deck for you know what you expect them to be and then be able to you know search out those answers that are only taking up one slot is is nice and i think another underrated aspect is just the amount of life that this deck gains sort of just incidentally you know even outside the combo is enough to like slow the game down and make it hard for a lot of other creature decks that are you know trying to kill you through damage to actually close the game while you, you know, sit back and have a chance to assemble your combo for whatever number of time it is. Yeah. It, it reminds me a lot of angels. Uh, the angels mm-hmm. deck is very similar with collect a company, but um, the thing that happened a lot with angels is you could get them down to like, I don't know, eight life, six life. And then all of a sudden they play one spell and they go back up to 30 because they just have so many creatures that when multiple of those types of creatures are on the battlefield, they just gain massive amounts of life. And this deck is pretty similar, but it's doing it on a much smaller scale. But that smaller scale uh, allows itself very well into the toolbox packages with Court of Calling and with Amalia, Wildgrowth Walker pairing together with any of these things that gain life or explore. You just get uh, this really nice one-two punch that easily defends against creature-based strategies, um, but also just buys a lot of time against mid-range, against Rakdos mid-range. Like, I can't imagine trying to beat this deck with Rakdos mid-range. It seems very difficult. You have to have a lot of graveyard trespassers to continuously eat the graveyard. You got to have sweepers. You got to have tons of spot removal. Obviously, killing the Amalia, a big deal. And if you can uh, sometimes just let them blow up the Amalia, gain 50 life, and then Fatal push it, you know, that's usually a way that you can claw back into the game. But then you have to beat them over the next 20 turns while they have 60 right. 70 life like it's just a very weird deck to play against and it's a very fun deck to play with so that that i think adds a lot to it and uh i, th- I think this deck will be around for a long time uh, unless something randomly gets banned but i don't think it should or or definitely shouldn't right now but uh this deck should be around for a while yeah i totally agree with that i think it puts a lot of interesting pressure on the format and, and is definitely playing its part in shaping it All right, so last thing I want to specifically call out for Pioneer here is Phoenix. And again, leading up to Atlanta, there was a lot of a lot of discussion and some divergence between like the stock solved blue red Phoenix deck and then the new Grixis, mostly Demir version that was kind of running around and um, performing better into strategies like Lotus Field and control and stuff. What have you seen over the past few weeks as far as Phoenix goes? It seems like you know a lot of the chatter with Grixis has died down, but you know, is that true or where well, are we I at with that? Phoenix in general was just a good choice for the regional championship. And um the people who picked the feature matches, I, I was on coverage and I talked to them and they they said they picked uh it was like high record plus points, record or like a big name plus points, cool deck plus points. And the people who had the most points got picked for feature matches, and the Demir Phoenix decks being played by, you know, like a, a great player doing well had a high chance to get on coverage i think we had it on coverage two or three times uh and it was only like you know 15 people or whatever playing it in the whole tournament right <laughs> uh so it wasn't really indicative of what the the format itself really holds uh is a phoenix i think is superior uh but not for a lot of reasons i, I just think that um Thoughtseize and bitter triumph are both great cards but dealing yourself damage is not conducive to the phoenix game plan because you're just uh already playing at low life totals against most of the aggressive decks while defending against their creatures with removal, like your uh, fire impulses and such. Even with Thoughtseize, I think you're a dog to a lot of the combo decks as the Demir version, so I don't think that it really adds enough. 
And um, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. The blue red one has just had a, a much higher win percentage uh, across the board. And uh, I, I don't think that it's uh, a fluke. The uh, the red, you know, mostly it's for uh, the removal spells, uh, but lightning axe specifically being a one mana removal spell that deals you basically no damage and uh, puts your Phoenix into the graveyard or just lets you push one closer to your big treasure cruise turn. I think is easily the reason why the deck is successful, and it's always been the reason why the deck is successful. The other reason why I think the blue-red version is superior at the moment is because in order to beat a lot of the decks in the format, you have to have the Galvanic Galvanic Iteration Temporal Trespass combo. And if you don't, I think that you are going to get buried by a lot of the decks that don't really care if you kill their creatures. You know, the Phoenix deck really thrives when you go kill two things, play Treasure Cruise. And when your opponent doesn't play things to kill, your deck doesn't really do much. And so you have to be very proactive with pieces of the puzzle, you know, your card draw effects to dig and fill your graveyard. And you have to find your double time walk as quickly as possible, as well as some Phoenix uh, to actually uh, get the job done. And while Thoughtseize would be a great addition to the style of strategy, I don't think that you can really add, a you know, four black one drop cards into this deck no. without significant pain on the mana and specifically that pain coming from the inability to play the pathways you know if you play three colors i think the pathway lanes are super dangerous and when you play two colors uh they're excellent excellent yep Yep. And uh, and so uh, I think you just have to choose, do I want to play the best removal and the best version of Phoenix to beat what Phoenix is good against? Or do I want to splash black f- to give me five more percentage points against some of my worst matchups? And uh, the blue-red one, I think, is just the clear-cut winner. Yep, I totally agree with that. I think that it's it's by far the stronger deck. And, you know, maybe Demir Grixis lines up better in a certain matchups or certain metas maybe, but it's... Not not the correct choice 90% of the time, maybe 95. All <laughs> right. Um, cool. Any other thoughts you have on Pioneer before we talk about modern and some SEG news? Pioneer is fun. Uh, it's kind of a hellscape. Decks are very powerful without a whole lot of safety valves, and the games are very one-sided sometimes. But you can gain a lot of advantage through preparation and through good mechanics, uh, whether that's mulganing, uh sideboarding things like that and uh if you really want to take your game to the next level i think playing pioneer specifically can help because it it really stretches some muscles that don't really exist in some of the other formats yeah that's that's a very fair point all right very good so our next segment is brought to you by boogie board the ultimate lcd life pad boogie board's patented reusable writing surface allows you to track life totals jot down quick notes during casual or competitive play after taking down your opponent you can just press the button to clear and you're ready to start over boogie board's best-selling jot tablet offers plenty of writing surface while the jot pocket is perfect for tighter playing spaces you can find boogie board at uh, friendly local game stores across the country and at major retailers and you can learn more about the products at myboogieboard.com games never start a match without your boogie board we are also happy to be partnering with flexlot.gg uh if you're trying to figure out sideboard math for your next tournament you should definitely give flexlot.gg a try this is a new hub for competitive magic tools and it's a great way to create edit save and share your sideboard guides i've been using it to to create sideboard maps for my different testing and it's uh, a lot easier than trying to use a spreadsheet or in my case neater than trying to write it out by hand so if you're serious about strategy give flexlot.gg a try today and the best part is that it's totally free uh i've loved boogie board i think it's one of the coolest things that 
uh, we've had access to as a gaming community for the last like 10 years or whatever. Yeah. I use a boogie board at every event. That's Same. all. <laughs> uh, Flexlot.gg. I haven't used it yet. Uh, it sounds cool. I, I might uh, give it a shot. I use I, I make a lot of sideboard guides. I'm sure having a little map uh, for my uh, Patreons or Patreon subscribers would be useful. So good call on those uh, sponsors. Yeah, it's a, it's a super easy way to like, you know, share your stuff, just share the link for it. And uh, George is adding a ton of new features to it all the time. So there's every I feel like every time I log in, there's a, the a new jammer? feature to check out. It sure is. <laughs> Old George Jammer. And believe it or not, it does work for all decks, not just control decks. So. <laughs> all right. Do you want to talk about modern format first or do you want to talk about some of the SEG news we had that just came out? Oh, uh, Let's talk about the SEG news. That's way more fun. Modern. Modern is it. whatever, man. Modern doesn't change much. <laughs> let's do it so uh we just found out actually uh, about an hour before we hopped on to record today we had news break that star city games is going to be hosting the rc cycle uh beginning with the 2024-25 and then also for the 25-26 seasons so this is basically going to be taking the role of dreamhack and they'll be hosting the rc events coming up we don't know um beyond the first one where they'll be at but uh, in their announcement they did say they're gonna be on west east and central uh in the u.s they're gonna be free to attend so that's pretty exciting they announced the first one is gonna be in washington dc um october 4th through the 6th of 2024 so the end of this year that's going to be exciting. DC is another cool city. We talked about at the very beginning of the episode, you know, the experiences you have around these tournaments, there's plenty to do there. So that's really cool. But what are, what are your thoughts on this? What's your sort of impressions? And we can sort of chat about this for a minute. Yeah. Um, all good. I'll just say all my impressions so far have been good. You know, I, I've worked for star city for a long time. I don't currently work for them, but I have worked for them in the past quite a bit. I think that uh, there was a lot of bad blood when they had to move away from heavy content and and cut coverage. I think that those were issues with cost and with their business not making enough to justify those costs. That happens. And I was unfortunately caught in the landslide of people getting dumped. Uh, That sucks. But that was more of a symptom of magic as a whole, just like, slowly dying because of covid and less because of any one actor being malicious or whatever and uh i've heard a lot of chatter people being extremely excited about star city games running these events and i am too uh i think that they have the uh power and knowledge to run organized and uh you know basically events without hitch and uh and i think that them uh getting the contract from Wizards of the Coast is excellent. And I think in, in the long term, it'll be very healthy for uh, not only magic, but uh, the North American competitive magic scene as well. Yeah, no, for sure. They've done a, a really nice job with like the SEG con events. You know, I've been able to go to a few of those, mm-hmm. uh, you know, over the past year and, and those are always very well run. Um, you know, they've been running well. those with a skeleton crew too. I don't know if you know that they, uh, they had really? a huge organized play department that my wife was uh, the system manager of for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we moved to California a few years back, they ended up just slowly moving away from having people in house to do organized play because they just weren't running tournaments during COVID. And then when they started coming back, they didn't have anyone in the department anymore. And so they just did, 
all like mono contractors or mostly contractors. They have, mm-hmm. they do have like Jared Silva, Ward Warren. These are two people that still are in the department and they, they do a great job of running most of the events, but they are, you know, they may re like rebuild that whole department and rededicate like a whole lot of their resources to running these events and turning all of the SCG cons, not just the ones with the regional championship, but turning all the SCG cons into these big spectacles, maybe with coverage and stuff. I'm, hopeful and extremely optimistic and i and i you know mostly just want to be a part of it <laughs> yeah no that'd be great well yeah this is the official petition to get tandy on coverage for the for this SEGRCs. uh but no i i think that that is great and hopefully they're going to be able to get the resources that they need from watsi to like you said be able to you know really blow these events out and make them and make them great one thing that you know I've enjoyed in the last couple of RCs that I've been to being a part of DreamHack is that like you know there's cool stuff to go see in between rounds and there's cool stuff going on outside of like the the magic space, but but also at the same time, it's very clear I think that you know that's not their focus and the magic stuff is is I don't want to say an afterthought, but it's it's definitely taking the backseat to a lot of the other stuff going on. So I think having you know SCG taking over and them being you know focused strictly on magic and being able to dedicate you know whatever resources they have at their disposal to the actual rc and the magic stuff that goes with it is going to be really exciting i have uh i don't want to say insider knowledge it's not really insider i have industry knowledge of like how cons work and things like that and uh, dreamhack was a huge organization that landed that contract from wizards and then they subcontracted to have like a real tournament organizer, I think it's pastimes to actually run the regional championships mm-hmm. uh, for Denver. I think pastimes have subcontracted it again to another organizer, <laughs> which is, you know, as long as the event is good, I don't really care. But that event itself, Denver coming up is not at a dream hack. There is no dream hack right. at Denver. This is a separate event that is still run by dream hack. Technically speaking. Um, Star City Games is not going to be that way. Star City Games, like you said, is all in on Magic. They are going to really, I think, use this platform to revitalize what I would consider to be like a rotting or dying competitive market. Mm-hmm. And we already see it in standard sales, right? Standard sales are already just like blowing up because of the RCQ season. And that's just like, hey, we're doing standard RCQs numbers go up and now it's like okay star city games is going to be running standard rcqs numbers go way up so i'm i'm just really excited personally and uh, i just hope that it's uh a harbinger of of good things to come yeah absolutely hopefully it's a a win-win for everyone involved um another interesting note that I've seen just since the news has come out is that stores are going to be able to run three RCQs per round now. Um, mm-hmm. Still one invite for non-premium, two invites for for premium stores. But this is going to really make the size of the RCs get even bigger. And, you know, we've already seen like each progressive RC getting bigger and bigger. And Atlanta was the biggest one ever so far. Um, Denver, at least had the other day when they like set up this invites on melee like over 1500 people in there so like these rcs are just getting bigger and bigger what are your thoughts on the size of these events and like the fact that the the prizes have not really changed you're kind of playing for the same stuff while the field gets bigger 
I mean, that's just always going to happen when you experience growth. You know, there's going to be a bubble that bursts and people are going to stop playing in the system if the prize is not worthwhile. But right now, the prize is extremely worthwhile because it is big event that I qualify for. And that just doesn't really exist in our competitive ecosystem outside of the regional championship stuff. Uh, I am personally not okay with 1500 person events, especially if you're not going to do the, what I would consider to be the correct number of rounds of 15 Swiss. Um, You know, they've flirted with 13 Swiss a couple RCs ago, and and then they eventually made it 14 and they've been (laughs) 14 for the, for the last couple, but it's like so brutal to play that many rounds and have a great record and just miss. And and so uh, the more rounds, the better, but at at a certain point, the, the bubble just has to burst. So, I'll say uh, they don't really need to increase the prizes. I think they just need to reduce the number of qualifications. And I I don't really see that happening anytime soon. So I would just expect the regional championship to just be, you know, a 1500 person, 2000 person event for the foreseeable future. And that is what it is. And if that's something you don't want to play in, that's fine. But personally, I still want to play in it. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, uh, you know, same. I prefer know, if it was not, but I'm still going to play in it. <laughs> first place is $30,000. That is more money than I have been able to win in any tournament outside of a pro tour in my history of playing the game. So, you know, I, I don't think increasing the prize pool is so- something that's going to turn the needle. It's only going to make more people want to play. And we already don't necessarily want more people to be jumping on this little thing. Um, my personal problem is with like the eight person RCQs. I just feel like, uh, those are just something that we have to figure out a way to make it like viable for the stores to be able to run events. Um, maybe it comes with like, Hey, if your store doesn't have this many people, we can only give you one event instead of three, something like that. I, I don't really know what kind of protections they can use, uh, for shrinking. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're in growth mode, man. I don't want to do anything that's going to push people away at all. Sure. So just just turn up the dial. Let's hit 2,500. Let's hit 3,000 players for the regional <laughs> championship. When when the organizer, whether it's Star City Games, DreamHack, or whoever, when the organizer can't physically run the event because it's too large, then we'll have a problem. There you go. <laughs> what do you think about um, some people have, have um, put out there, like splitting the U.S. up into two regions, like an east-west, sort of like how they do it in Canada. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I don't think that's a horrible idea. I think that uh, traveling for, uh, you know, a large event is fun, but it shouldn't require a plane ticket most of the time. And if it does require a plane ticket, then it should be a prestigious event like the Pro Tour World Championships or similar. Um, I I am of the opinion that, uh, you know, we we basically just need to get to a point where uh, if you do have two regions – you have to have the same number of tournaments in each of those regions and you know so that uh it doesn't feel like you're getting half as many chances right and i think that they are scared to just continue adding more and more to the uh the prize pools and things like that so i think star city games will be able to handle it pretty easily uh, in terms of like one big thing um but you know having to fly to vegas or dallas or west coast is brutal for east coast but you know, if you want to play, that's like your one or two big qualifier event a year. We used to do that for the Pro Tour all the time. 
now there's just like an extra step in between, but that extra step in between is like a very large cash prize. So, right. Yeah, no, I think it makes sense. And, and what we've said from the beginning of this, uh, this little bit is, you know, SEG, I, I think that the new, the new system is going to be in good hands and these are, you know, problems that, that need to be at least looked at and maybe addressed, but they'll hopefully again, have the resources and, and the focus to, to look at them and, and make the right decisions. So definitely a uh, step in the po- in a positive direction, I think. All right. Well, we're actually running pretty long, so I think we'll save actually our modern talk Wait, for next episode. Let me episode. say one thing about modern. All right. Tell us what, what the most important thing. What do we got? <clears throat> they banned Fury and now Rakdos is better than ever. I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know why, but it is. There's only two decks that matter. Or sorry, there's three decks that matter. Rakdos Scam, uh, Crashing Footfalls, and Yawgmoth. Those are the three decks. And if you're not playing yes. one of those three decks, you need to find God. <laughs> yeah, you know, Scam is, as you said, still right up there. Who could have who could have thought that not banning Grieve, that the deck would still be good? Turn one double thought sees is all right. Yeah, I heard. That's what I heard too. <laughs> All right. Well, we will have more modern talk for you on the next episode. Hopefully Nathan will be back. But Tandy, before we head out for the day, any any last notes, any thoughts you have about what players should be focusing on right now with, um, you know, all these formats deserving attention? Yeah. So uh, pick the tournaments you want to go to, uh, figure out what formats they are and then prepare accordingly. Uh, If you only want to go to a bunch of standard events, just play standard. Uh, don't bother, you know, going to Wednesday F, you know, if you want to go play magic, go play magic, but don't like force yourself to go play your Wednesday night modern or whatever like that. When you're just specifically testing for standard, you know, I think with the three major competitive formats of standard modern and pioneer being, you know, at the forefront of competitive play, we are in maybe one of the better eras for constructed in a long time in yeah. terms of just deck viability across the board. And so, you know, uh, just figure out what you want to play and have some fun, man. Yeah. There's plenty of ways right now to find something that you are enjoying and there's, there's no need to be playing, you know, a format or a deck that you don't enjoy because there's opportunities to achieve what you want to achieve and have a lot of fun doing what you want mm-hmm. with whatever format you pick. So I think that's great. Well, Tandy, thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, Cody, um, appreciate really you. appreciate your time. It was great hanging out with you. We'll uh, stay in touch. And oh, actually, you know, before we head out, where can people find you at? Uh, so I stream semi-regularly uh, twitch.tv slash Tandy. Uh, I write uh, strategy articles and sideboard guides on my Patreon. That's uh, patreon.com slash Tandy. You can also follow me on Twitter. Um, Tandy MTG. I do magic. That's all I do. It's, I play video games in my free time and I play magic in my non-free time. So I get I just play games all day. That's all I do. That sounds like a pretty good time. Are you still doing the Lorcana stuff? Uh, we have uh, gone on a indefinite hiatus for Lorcana stuff until they or announce organized play. Uh, gotcha. They should be announcing organized play later this month. Uh, but for now, we are on the back burner for for Lorcana. I, I enjoy the game. Um, this the second set did not uh, hit well for me, and uh, there were no tournaments. So, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I haven't I haven't really had a chance to play it at all, but I, I know you were big into it for a minute. So yeah, all right, awesome, man. Well, thank you again for coming on. For the listeners, we're going to be back to our regular schedule of an episode every other week for the time being. So stay tuned for more content from the Bolt Zone. Again, get at us on Twitter with the hashtag Bolt Zone Chat. Let us know what you want to hear about. 
leave us a follow, leave us a review on the the platform of your choice. We read all of them. We love hearing from you guys. And if you want to help support the show, again, consider subscribing to the Patreon. You can find the link for that in the show notes. And don't forget to check out our new merch and use the promo code that's also in the show notes to get 15% off your order. Until next time, though, get out there and sling some spells. Hey guys, it's Cody again. Thanks so much for listening to the end of the episode. Hopefully you enjoyed uh, the conversation with Tandy and a look at what's been going on over the past few weeks in Magic. Now we want to share something we had a cool opportunity to do down at the regional championship in Atlanta. Between me and my fiance, we were able to talk to some of the fans of the show, some really great players down there, and just sort of get some perspectives and learn about you know what people were thinking about the tournament and magic in general at the time so we just want to share those with you now and we're just going to run them back uh, start to finish but hopefully you'll enjoy this inside glimpse into the community perfect so i'll just have your name where you're from and what you're doing here Hi, I'm uh, Travis Brown, or Disgruntled Elk, depending on where you follow me, um, and I'm from Columbus, Ohio right now, and I bombed out of four LCQs yesterday, so I'm just supporting my friends. Very good. Do you have a lot of friends here? Yes, because they are very good at magic. I'm only good at one specific thing. <laughs> I heard Pioneer is kind of hard to play, so I don't know. I mean, some people are good at it, but I am not one of them. Not quite for you. Are you qualified for Denver? Yes, yeah, super qualified for Denver, very excited for that. Very good, awesome. So what have you been seeing here? Anything in particular that's been interesting? Or yeah, So a lot of Convoke, a lot of Red Black, a lot of Amalia, and a lot of Phoenix, which I think is kind of what everyone expected. Okay, if you were a betting man, what do you think is going to take it all? Amalia is like really disgusting, and I wish I had started playing it two weeks before because I would have played that. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thanks for talking with me. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect, thank you. I really appreciate it. No Okay, so give me your name, where you're from, and what deck you're playing. Uh, Eric Heath. I'm from Canton, Ohio. I'm playing Gearhawk Creativity. And how's it going so far today? Uh, pretty well. 2-0. Uh, I matched up versus Amalia round one and Bant Humans round two. And I uh, feel pretty good about where the deck's at in the meta. That's great. What did you do to prep to get here? Well, I talked to Cody a lot, and I uh, asked his questions. You know, I asked him a lot of questions because, you know, he has, he has a lot of game knowledge. Uh, he's my backup plan whenever it comes time to... Hey, should I use this card? Should I, you know, do that? And he, he gives me a lot of guidance, uh, you know, help get me here. So I owe a lot of this to him anyway. That's awesome. Do you find that the Magic community is pretty supportive overall? Yeah. Uh, you know, we have a real good local group at home. Our shop's real good about it. Anybody's willing to play test with you at any time. So, you know, it's we've just got a real good group. Shout out to Kevin at Universal, who always gives me free candy. Thank you. Um, is this your first RC? Yes, it is. Uh, I quit playing for a good amount of years uh, after my best friend died, and I got back into it about three years ago and uh, said I was going to get in it for drafts, and here I am playing Constructed at an RC, uh, you know, 12 hours away from home. That's awesome. Well, congratulations and good luck today. Thank you. Alrighty, so go ahead and tell me your name, where you're from, and what deck you're playing. My name is Joel Farrar. I'm playing Is It Creativity, and I am from the Colorado area. Alrighty, and how's it going so far today? It could be going better. I'm one and two, but I gotta say, it's definitely me and not the deck. I'm really happy with the choice. I'm really happy with the position, 
Uh, I made a couple game throwing errors, but uh, the deck is going pretty well, I gotta say. That's good. So you like look into the meta before and try to see what everyone else is playing or how did you prepare for this? Absolutely, yeah. I was looking at matchup spreads pretty much exclusively. Uh, that informed a lot of my choices. My short list uh, was kind of determined like, uh, I would say two months ago-ish. It didn't really get that disrupted by the bands, which is probably just my good fortune. Yeah. But my, my, uh, my short list was Boros Heroic, uh, a little too inconsistent for my taste. I liked uh, Grease Fang of some variety, but there's so much different Grease Fang, Mardu, Esper, uh, Abzan. It was kind of hard to choose, and they all had the same weaknesses I felt. And then uh, the the Rona Luka deck was pretty sick, but um, it gets crushed by Amelia, so yeah. didn't feel like that was a good option. All right, so you're happy with your choices, just wish you were playing a little bit better. It's that way it stays for me, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Happens to the best of us. Dreamhack's really cool. Have you gone over to the other side and looked at the Dreamhack stuff at all? I have, yeah. I've, uh, I need to, I'm going to get knocked out of this event. I'm almost certain. And then I'll take a little walk around and see what's out there. Uh, at, got a little glimpse. It's pretty cool. At least there's some stuff to do, right? Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you, Joel. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, we're here at the floor of DreamHack Atlanta, and I'm here with Randy from Heavy Play. He's uh, going to tell us a little bit about our new partnership with them. Randy, how are you doing here? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure. Uh, how has the convention been for you so far? Uh, it's been awesome. It's great seeing like all the grinders, yeah, all the pro players, everyone who's uh, yeah still playing 60 card formats. It's awesome. Yeah, there's quite quite the roster. So if uh, if you could tell us a little bit about Heavy Play and what you guys are doing. Yeah, Heavy Play. We're a new card gaming accessories brand. Uh, we launched in July. Uh, we're really focused on how to improve gameplay and game day. Uh, a lot of legacy brands, you know, their roots are in collectibles. It's sports cards. Um, they think more about the cardboard versus we really think about the player and the play experience and the fact that we're, you know, playing games. Um, so we want to help you find the line and improve your gameplay. Yeah, that's great. I love that you guys are trying to do stuff different, and uh, I haven't a chance to try out some of the stuff myself. I, it's it's really great, and I've enjoyed getting to use it. The magnetic feature is really cool, but it'll like, just pick your stuff up and go. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so uh, our playmat, the ETB playmat, is totally different than your traditional playmat. So instead of rolling it up, you fold it up. So it's faster to pack up, no need for a storage tube. It'll fit in your backpack's laptop sleeve. Uh, and because there's closure magnets in there, you can actually get more out of them tap into them by connecting our deck box and dice box. Uh, that way you snap it all together and you can just carry it all in a single hand. So when you're moving between matches, trying to find the next table, you're not juggling all these loose things. It's all secure and all together. Yeah, that's a really nice feature and I've enjoyed that one myself. So you, we mentioned that you guys are going to be traveling to a lot of conventions and magic cons and stuff like that. So after Atlanta, where are people going to be able to find you at? Uh, we'll definitely be at MagicCon Chicago. Uh, we're also doing the PAX circuit, so we'll be at PAX East. Uh, and then hopefully we can add some more. We've been uh, doing SEG cons. Uh, we were in Pittsburgh and Dallas, so it's just a matter of finalizing the details for the, the next few shows as well. Okay, great. Um, and then before we wrap up, anything else you want to let the people know about yourself or about the brand? Uh, yeah, also try out our curved sleeves. That's a totally different take on sleeves. Uh, they're more ergonomic. Uh, they feel great in your hand, oh, easy to shuffle, easier to get in your deck box. Uh, so definitely try them out. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, you'll be hearing more about Heavy Play here on Bolt Zone. We'll talk to you about it too. Okay. 
And now time to interview the host himself. Tell me who you are, where you're from, and what deck you're playing. Hey, it's me, Cody. I am from Ohio. And today, as you guys probably could guess, I am playing Boros Convoke. And who is the guy that tried to guess and did indeed guess incorrectly? Yeah, got to give a shout out to Mason Clark for the high level analysis and, and deep dive into my censored deck picture from earlier this week. He, he tried, we'll say that, but not quite. So how's it going so far today? We're about to enter round four, is that correct? Yeah, we're about to enter round four. So far, so good. Uh, round one was a little tough. Played against Mono White Humans, which is a really good matchup for us. Usually had a mulligan to five both games. Drew pretty poorly, so lost that one. But bounced back, took two kind of iffy matchups, and beat uh, Is It Creativity and Blue White Control. So we're 2-1 we're now and feeling a lot better. That's great news. Well, thank you, Cody. I'm sure we'll talk to you again, and good luck in round four. Thanks so much.